Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hello, family. I hope you are ready for the Word of God. Today, as we enter into a season of fasting and prayer, as many of us are going on a corporate fast between October 5th and November 4th, we want to deal with some subjects pertinent to corporate prayer. And today, we want to look at the book of Nehemiah, chapters 1 and 2. And our objective today is to understand identificational repentance and to motivate believers to confess and repent for the sins of the church and the nation. Some key questions that you're going to find yourself asking is, am I heartbroken for what is going on with the nation or am I merely disconnecting myself from the rampant pain, rampant confusion and unrest? Am I willing to identify myself during this intense season with the nation and pray on behalf of it? Will I be an agent of positive change or part of the problem? So as an introduction to Nehemiah, uh, we're going to get into a bit of its biblical historical background. We find that the prophets Zechariah and Haggai, who were also in the Old Testament, wrote about a return to Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile, which took place in 587 B.C. So there were five different components of the Babylonian exile culminating in around 587 B.C., where all of Israel, especially Jerusalem and Judah, was taken captive into the nation of Babylon. And Zechariah and Haggai uh, wrote about how God called them to return under the Persian kings who came after Babylon to begin to rebuild the altar and the temple, and that's around 536 to 516 B.C., so maybe 50 years later after the initial exile, they started going back. Nehemiah and Ezra were called to rebuild the city and fortify the walls. And they uh, took about 25 years, and they began around 445 B.C. The book of Ezra, chapters 3 to 6, record the rebuilding of the, the tabernacle or the temple and the altar. And then it talks about how he worked with Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. And so we see how all of these books work together. Ezra went to Jerusalem before Nehemiah was called there, and he was called upon to teach the law of God to the remnant of exiles who returned and built the temple around 465 B.C., and as I already noted, around 445 B.C., that's when Nehemiah came, maybe 20 years after that. So Ezra was already in Jerusalem before Nehemiah got there. The book of Malachi is also written around this time. Evidently, the fires of passion towards God were uh, already beginning to lift after they built the temple. And the book of Malachi has to do with 
how God was feeling dishonored, disrespected, and insulted because of the type of sacrifices that they were giving him in this newly restored altar uh, in the new temple. Another interesting thing, how we see the Old Testament books working together. Remember the book of Esther. Well, Esther was the wife of Persian King Xerxes with Mordecai, who's also in that book, as the prime minister of Persia during that time after he was elevated, after Haman was hanged. And Artaxerxes, who is the son of King Xerxes, is the one who authorized Nehemiah to rebuild the wall and fortify the city as its governor. Hence, it is very possible that Queen Esther may have been Artaxerxes' stepmother, which explains why the Jews like Nehemiah had such an influential place and favor in the Persian kingdom. And so the book of Nehemiah takes us to a political leader who was a Jewish exile in Persia after the time of Daniel the prophet. So Daniel was one of the early people to be exiled to Babylon, and Daniel lived throughout the years of Nebuchadnezzar and even up until the reign of King Darius in Persia. And so even in this introduction, we could see as a lesson today that God has positioned his people in places of influence. And we could also look at how the condition of our community, our neighbors and families should motivate us to pray and ask God to use all of our resources and words to be a benefit to them for his glory. So as Nehemiah was positioned in the right place at the right time, all of us have been positioned to reach the people God has called us to reach. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, and uh, we find it says in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th years, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. They were exiles who went back to build the temple. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. Not only that, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates destroyed by fire, which took place uh, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar when he attacked the city. And Nehemiah's response is epic. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we find that Nehemiah first inquired regarding the condition of his nation and his people. So even though he was in a luxurious palace, even though he had all the money he needed, and although he had great position of influence in all of Persia, he still had a heart for his people. And so his soft heart was grieved when he heard that the gates and the walls were broken down by fire, which left Jews vulnerable to their enemies' attacks. And so immediately it is recorded, starting the first three or four verses, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So we see here, even though there's no record of Nehemiah breaking covenant with God, that he responded immediately and identified with the sins of his people. He responded in what we would call identificational repentance, which involved prayer and fasting. And uh, during this time and season, the church, the body of Christ, also has to identify with the sins of the larger body of Christ and also repent for the sins of the church and the nation. We need to repent related to the church regarding our self-focus, our narcissism and materialism, uh, using the gospel to just better our own lives instead of furthering the kingdom, and also our apathy towards the things of God. We also need to repent for the lack of financial investment of most Christians who probably spend more on vacations, video games, and entertainment than they do on supporting the kingdom. It makes me laugh, people who talk about how they don't believe they should tithe, but yet if you look at their life, they spend a lot of money on other things. The problem isn't that they don't believe in tithing. The problem is they don't believe in putting God's kingdom first in their life. So we need to also repent for the church's silence when it comes to abortion and the deviation of God's natural law when it comes to human sexuality, family, and in humanity in general. He continues praying. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you, your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I'll bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. And so when Nehemiah was praying, he reminded God of his word. He said, remember the word you commanded your servant Moses. He stood on the promises of God that he would restore them. And so we need to stand on the promises of God. We need to know the word of God. Sometimes we need to pray with the Bible open and actually read scripture to God to remind them of his word. He loves it when we do that. And one of the promises he has in scripture is found in Jeremiah 18 in verse 7 and 8. It says, if any time I declare concerning a nation, and that could be the United States or any nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck up and destroy it by implication because of their sins. But if that nation repents of the evil, God will relent of the disaster he was going to bring on it. And so we need a spiritual awakening. We need to stand on the promises of God, like that which we just read in Jeremiah, and like that which is in 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God promises to heal the land if his people repent and humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek his face. And so these are promises we need to remind God as we fast and pray during this season. We believe God wants to bring the greatest spiritual awakening this country has ever seen. There's been at least two great awakenings. We had one in the 1740s uh, with George Whitfield. that helped unite all the colonies together 
that prepared the way for the U.S. to become one nation. Uh, many call George Whitfield the father of the American Revolution even before they called George Washington the father of the country because he was able to unite the, the colonies together through his preaching and revivals. We have the Second Great Awakening through evangelists like Charles Finney, and uh, that paved the way for the abolitionist movement, the anti-slavery movement, women's suffrage movement, child labor laws being reformed, and even releasing women into ministry and many other things we can't name. We're ready now for the third great awakening of our country. We've had some revivals that affected the church, but an awakening affects society. We haven't had an awakening that has affected society since the 19th century, as far as I'm concerned, at least a national awakening in North America. And so he prays and he says, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. And so we need to remind God, even in the New Testament, it says that God's attentive to the prayers of his people. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 10 and 11, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. You see that, saints? God's open to your prayers. His eyes are on you. He wants to hear you pray. And now, if we can't be motivated to pray in the midst of all this chaos, confusion, and crises, when will we pray? If not now, when? And if not us, then who? Who can God depend on? I hope it's you. And then he ends that prayer by saying, uh, that part of the prayer, it says, grant him mercy, meaning himself, Nehemiah, in the sight of this man, meaning the king. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. He had great, great favor. And the reason why he had favor was because of Queen Esther, I believe, who her and Mordecai prepared the way for the Persian nation to elevate Jewish people. And we see that Nehemiah had an incredible, enormous position as the cupbearer, which means that the king trusted him more than anybody else. He was not only uh, a cupbearer, but what that signified was that he drank the wine and probably by implication tasted the food before the king did so that anybody tried to poison the king, Nehemiah would die first. So he had to be very trusted because Nehemiah could have poisoned the food if he wanted to kill the king. So he had the utmost trust. He was in the inner circle of the king and he had the influence that God wanted him to have. God places us in the positions of influence we're called to have according to our assignment. Nehemiah's assignment was, as he was praying, it unfolded, we'll see later on, chapter 2, uh, to go and restore the gates and the wall and fortify the city of Jerusalem who had just been building the temple. And they had to keep stopping uh, part of the reason is because they didn't have safety because of the walls not being up. So what good is having a temple to worship God if they didn't have any protection from their enemies? And so both went hand in hand. 
So Nehemiah was in this incredible place of influence as the wine taster or the cupbearer of the king. Deuteronomy 28 promises God's people that out of all the peoples of the earth, those who are called by God's name, the other peoples will be afraid of them. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. This is what Nehemiah walked in, in the Old Covenant. He said, the Lord will uh, cause you to lend to many nations and you will not borrow. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not beneath if you obey the commandments of the Lord. And so that's why Nehemiah had such great favor in those exiles, that remnant that were in Persia that obeyed the Lord. People like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were the early exiles uh, who came before Nehemiah into Babylon, they all had favor because they followed the commandments of the Lord and God elevated them. And God will elevate any of you and give you more influence if God can trust you to obey his word. And so after he prayed, he knew what he should do. And in chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. So he waited until the time arose for him to be before the king. And, uh, and it says in verse 2, that now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then he went on to say, how could I not be sad, O king, when the city of my fathers lies in ruin? And then the king said, well, what can I do to help you? And his answer is, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. He said, if I found favor in your sight, send me to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Wow. So he acted on his prayers. He didn't just pray, but he acted on them. And this also teaches us that when we pray, oftentimes we become not only the ones who say the prayer, but the ones who fulfill the prayer because God puts it on our heart to fulfill many of the prayers that we're praying. And again, we're called to utilize any influence we have to influence our family, our neighbors, our community, even our nation. And we could all influence the nation with our prayers. And so the rest of the book of Nehemiah talks about how he received government protection and even money and a government grant as well as letters of recommendation. This is also a perfect story that shows that it's never wrong for the church to partner with civil government, even if they're not saved. Um, we can partner together to serve our communities, even as Nehemiah partnered with uh, this king, Artaxerxes, and received a government grant to build the wall and fortify the city of Jerusalem. And so we need to use our influence. Our greatest influence is going to be in our prayer. We want to urge you all to pray and to seek the Lord during this time. There's a 30-day corporate fast taking place from October 5th until 
uh, November 4th, the day after the election. And if ever we needed to pray and seek God, it is now. We also have a Heal the Land event on October 14th, also on November 1st on a Sunday. And uh, that's 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. You can go to uscal.us for more details. And so as I end this, in personal application, I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to set aside some meals between October 5th and November 4th to fast and pray for the nation? Are you concerned about the plight of your community and this nation? Or are you untouched by it because your life is doing well? Can God count on you to be an agent of change? Or are you part of the problem of people who have just have apathy and don't care about the needs and hurts of others? And finally, will you surrender your life to the Lord? Because some of you may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And God doesn't save you through religion or just through watching an online service. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not sure that your sins have been taken away and that you have his spirit in your life, why don't you pray with me right now? The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Just say this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, come in my life. I give you my heart. Take my life. Fill me with your spirit. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's in John 8, 31 to 36. Meaning that you can't just say a prayer. He has to be Lord of your life, not just your Savior, which means you have to continue in the word. Please connect with us if you are not living near where our church buildings are in Staten Island or in Brooklyn. Uh, help us connect with you, tell us you receive Christ so we could tell you the next steps. This is Joseph Matera signing off until next week. We pray that you'll join us in prayer and fasting and you'll continue to serve the Lord with us. Amen. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.